Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources who remind you you are not alone. In this episode number 235, I am chatting with Marissa Henley. One thing that I have seen in my own life and also over and over again with other friends is that the Lord really does provide. And He provides in a lot of different ways. And usually He is weaving together this tapestry of support to provide for our friends' needs. And we're just one thread. We don't even necessarily see all the other threads that He's using to meet those needs. And so I think that it's it's good to pray and ask the Lord, you know, what is my role? Marissa is the author of the new book, Loving Your Friend, through cancer. And in this episode, she's sharing a bit of her story and helping us be the kind of friends I know we want to be, but often are left wondering what's most helpful. Marissa starts by giving us a framework to help us figure out which circle of friends do I fall into for that person, which made me wonder how am I cultivating the friendships in those circles? And if you need help there, go back to my conversation with Sally Clarkson a few weeks ago. Marissa shares a great, simple, yet meaningful tip on when you bring someone a meal. There's more goodness in here. Before we get to it, I want to talk to you about last week's episode. So basically, we had a couple technical difficulties. Y'all loved Paul David Tripp, but some of you missed the intro and the outro for that episode. But I don't want you to miss something amazing that Paul is offering us. So he recorded a marriage conference elaborating on the content of that podcast episode. He recorded four sessions at the conference and they are now available to stream when you purchase a license. So all you have to do is go to dopemomalone.com forward slash marriage, check out his Habits for a Healthy Marriage conference and you can decide if you're gonna use it just in your home with your spouse or with a small group, a Sunday school class, Even if you're in charge of a church-wide event, there is a license you can purchase to stream that conference, and they have a study guide. It's such a great resource in so many different ways. If you want to go check it out, go to don'tmomalone.com forward slash marriage, and as a Don't Mom Alone listener, you're going to get $5 off with the coupon code 5OFF. All right. I just want to make sure you all knew about that. Okay, let's get to my conversation with Marissa. Here we go. Hey, Marissa, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Hey, Heather, thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm just really thankful for you to be brave in sharing your story and for encouraging us on how to love our friends better. The -hmm. friends that are going through circumstances they don't want to be in and we don't want them to be in. And yet we feel so ill-equipped sometimes to say the right thing, to do the right thing, to be the friend we want to be. So thank you. For guiding the way today. Yeah, I'm happy to help. I wish we didn't have to have the conversation, but yeah. it's definitely important. Yeah, this broken world, yeah. we can't get away from it. And you know, we're primarily talking about when your friend's going through cancer, but I know that there are other circumstances that rob us and grieve us, and it's a lost mm-hmm. job, it's a broken marriage, it's another health condition. And so for y'all listening If you just want to be a good friend and love your friend, I'm sure a lot of what you're going to share today, Marissa, is going to be helpful. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It can apply to a lot of of situations where our friends are hurting. Yeah. Well, and your tagline, moving beyond, I'm sorry, to meaningful support. We want to be Mm -hmm. those people, right? As followers of Jesus and the work that he did and compassion was always forefront in everything he did. And, you know, he he got to heal straight up, but, you know, (laughs) we can still even offer those prayers, I think. Uh, and and believe in expectancy that God can do anything. But to walk alongside and support, um, you got to experience it firsthand. So tell everyone a little bit of your story and why you're passionate about this topic. Yeah, so I um, was a young wife and mom. Um, It was about eight years ago that I was diagnosed with a rare cancer called angiosarcoma. And I had found a lump in my breast and had some testing that led to a biopsy. And when the doctor called me with the biopsy results, I thought he was going to say it was breast cancer or it was not breast cancer. I was not expecting to hear 
this strange new word that I had never heard before. I had, I'd done a lot of Google searches, <laughs> finding <laughs> the lump in my breast, which I don't recommend. Yeah. Um, but I had never come across angiosarcoma. I didn't know what it was. And so the doctor was explaining to me that it was very rare and very aggressive. And he was kind of laying out some next steps for me. And I wasn't really saying much on my end of the conversation. I just was trying to take it all in. And at one point he said, you know, Marissa, are you okay? And I said, well, I just don't know if you're telling me that I have one year or five years or what. And he said, well, we just don't know. Mm. And so that was really difficult to hear. And I hung up the phone with the doctor. And of course, the first thing I did was open my laptop and type angiosarcoma into Google. And one of the first things that I read is that the five-year survival rate is about 30%. Mm. And at the time, I had two boys. They were six and four and a little girl who was 18 months old. And I just started trying to figure out in five years, what would be happening in their lives. And I realized that my daughter would be starting first grade. And so from that very first moment, that was my prayer that the Lord would let me live five years and walk her into first grade. And, um, so it was a scary time. Thankfully, we found out a couple of days later that the cancer hadn't spread and um, we had a chance at treating it and getting rid of it. And so we went to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, which yeah. I live in Arkansas. Yeah. So so already there's a disruption. Right. Oh, life. so, so yeah. many disruptions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we went to MD Anderson. He gave us a treatment plan and I started chemo at home in Arkansas at first, some really intense high doses of chemotherapy. And after a couple of rounds, the chemo was working, but I was going to need a clinical trial in order to get the rest of my chemo, which meant getting treatment in Houston. And I basically had to start living in Houston for several months, which was even more devastating emotionally yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and presented a lot of logistical challenges as a, a stay-at-home mom to three little kids. <laughs> and so um, so walked through that several months, finished getting the chemo. It kept working, which was great news. I lived in Houston, um, and I could just talk for hours about the extraordinary ways that God met every single need that we had during that time. And the, the primary way that he does that is through the body of Christ and people stepping up and caring for us and making sacrifices for us. It was so beautiful to see. And then I had five weeks of radiation also in Houston. And then I got to come home for a while and I went back for surgery and that was the end of my treatment plan. So it was about a year from the time I was diagnosed until the day that my doctor looked at me and said, you have no evidence of disease. Mm. I went back many, many times for scans. I had a couple scares along the way, but I um, have remained healthy since 2011 and walked my daughter into her first day of first grade years ago. She's now in fourth grade and wow. my boys, I'm about to have two teenagers in the house. My second's about to turn 13. So it's a surreal experience having walked through that, walked through so much uncertainty and come out on the other side of it and just seeing how faithful the Lord is beyond my expectations. I never expected to still be here in 2019. I I think about it almost every day. <laughs> what am I still doing here? This is so amazing. So I'm just, I'm really thankful and, and so aware that it's not always how the story ends and it hasn't been how the story's ended even for friends of mine. And so I don't take it for granted. I'm just really thankful. Man, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I'm thinking so many thoughts. I'm thinking of this idea that you have an 18 month old and you're thinking if I can just get to first grade, that would be right. a gift. Yeah. And I think of every day leading up to that um, and the fears that come in and the wanting control when there's no control. And then I think of the impact of once you've passed that marker and how each day becomes this extra gift, which technically for all of us, it should be. Right. <laughs> but 
this perspective that you've been given. I also think about, you know, as moms, we already load up so much guilt on ourselves of not being enough, even though I see all these sweet moms trying so, so hard to be the best they can be and still feeling like they fall short all the time. And then when you're feeling sick and when you're you're physically away from where your kids are and I mean, those years that you could you could layer on more guilt, like I've ruined their childhood, you know, I've. Right. But I'm curious, as you're seeing these boys become teenagers, what gifts have you seen that it's brought to your kids having walked through that with you? You know, it has been amazing to see that, Heather. And one of the prayers that I had my my army of prayer warriors praying when I was sick is that the Lord would protect my children's hearts and minds with Mm -hmm. what was going on. It's unbelievable to me how the Lord has answered that prayer in in one way, in that my kids do not remember Hmm. hardly anything from that time. Which is when I think back to all the days I took them to zoos and all the things, and my boys are like, what? We used to do that? Yes, I like bent over backwards to make this amazing day for you. You don't even remember. Right. Yeah. And you know yeah. that it does, you know, it impacts them, yeah. you know, even if they can't remember, but you know, there were so many really hard days during those months when I was in Houston, I missed all three of their birthdays that year. Mm. We figured out how to handle the days that I would leave to go down there. But the first couple of times it happened, the kids would be hanging on me, just mm. weeping like mommy don't leave. I mean, it was terrible. And I thought they will be ruined you know, like they are ruined. This is it. You know, this is so traumatic for them. How will they ever get past this? And they don't remember any of that. They remember that I lost my hair. They remember that I had a clown wig that I wore to make them laugh. Um, (laughs) But they don't remember that their mommy lived in Houston and that they had a nanny taking care of them. And so, so I'm so thankful for that, that they don't have They don't have traumatic memories of that time, but I do think that they have some really positive impacts from that time. I think that they understand what it looks like to serve other people when they're hurting. They they know better than anything to take a meal because they have gone with me (laughs) to take so many meals, especially in those early years of survivorship for me, I was kind of on a mission to pay back all the meals that I had received. Mm. And I received meals three times a week for eight months. So that was a lot of meals that (laughs) I was trying to give back to the the body of Christ. And so my kids went with me to deliver a lot of meals and saw that in action. So I think that they have that, that compassion. They know what to do to serve others in those situations. And they're also really close with each other and with me and with my husband. And I think that I don't know how aware they are of the fact that they could have not had me with them as they were growing up. I think they're becoming more aware of it because I, they hear me talk about it a lot, (laughs) but I think that they know not to take for granted that they have their mom with them. And I think that that has really changed our relationships and our family in a good and precious way. So thankful for that. Fabulous. And you could probably attribute a lot of that buffering from the traumatic because of the support system you had. It sounds like you had a good group that walked alongside you to try to keep their childhood um, to where they don't notice, right? (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, my friends, they really taught us by example how the body of Christ should behave (laughs) when something like this happens and how to be the most wonderful friend to someone who's suffering. And they did. They just jumped in. They took my kids to all the fun things. They, you know, made gingerbread houses from scratch, which I have never done. Don't do that. No, that's (laughs) terrible. Christmas, my kids got to make gingerbread houses from scratch. And, you know, they would take them on the field trips that I couldn't go on for preschool. They would make sure that they got to go to the library story time and just all those little things that they were used to doing that I couldn't take them to do anymore. And then the best part was that my friends would text me pictures of my kids having fun. Mm. And that just would always mean the world to me because of course, as you were saying earlier, I was feeling guilty and just sad that my kids would miss out on some things. And so 
whenever my friends would make it possible for my kids to get to be a part of those fun things and then allow me to see it too from Houston or wherever I was that day. It was the best. That's good to know because I'm sure some friends would think, oh, I shouldn't take a picture. I don't want her to feel bad that she's missing out. But to know that it was actually helpful to you and gave you a peace of mind, even that little tidbit is helpful. Yeah, because I was already aware that I was missing out. It yeah, didn't make me feel worse to see it. It just made me so happy to see my kids smiling and playing at the park with their friends or whatever it was they were doing that day. So as a friend to someone who's going through a hard time, how do we know what our role is in that support network? How do we know what to offer help with? What are the different circles of support? Yeah, I think this is a really good place to start because I think sometimes it kind of can go either way to where we think that we aren't very close with the person who's going through cancer or whatever the hard thing is. We think, well, I'm not one of her very best friends, so I'm not sure that there's really a role for me to play. I'm not really sure that I should offer to do something. It might be weird. Or we might kind of overestimate how close we are and think and offer to do something that maybe is a little too personal Mm. or a little too intimate. And I think social media is not helpful with that too, because sometimes we think, well, we're super close because I know what she had for breakfast yesterday, (laughs) (laughs) but really we're more acquaintances than close friends. So I like to think of these three circles, the inner circle, the middle circle, and the outer circle. And the inner circle, usually you only have a few inner circle friends, and those are your besties that you really share with. They know details about your family, about your marriage, about your struggles, like those kinds of intimate friends. And for inner circle friends, I think the best things to offer to help with are those more personal needs. And I think of like a little circle around the woman with cancer and the inside of her home. So helping with her kids, because her kids probably know you, things like cleaning her house, because you don't want just anybody cleaning your toilets, (laughs) (laughs) and then caring for those emotional needs, like the inner circle friends, you're probably the ones that she's going to be needing to share about her fear about her grief and her sadness, about her concerns for her kids, those kinds of things, you're going to need to step up and listen well and support her in that. And then middle circle friends are people that maybe you go to church together and um, or your kids go to school together or maybe work together or something like that. And you do hang out and socialize on a somewhat regular basis, but you're maybe not the first person that they call in a crisis. And so middle circle friends, I think of a circle just outside the home. So you want to offer to help with things like running errands, picking up groceries or prescriptions, helping with yard work, giving her a ride if she needs a ride to a chemo appointment, or if her kids are older, like school age or teenage kids, um, helping with transportation for them to school or to basketball practice or whatever. Those are all really good tasks for middle circle friends. And then outer circle friends are the people that you bump into at the gym, or maybe you say hi at church, but you're not necessarily going out to lunch after church, (laughs) just the friends that are more like acquaintances, or if you primarily have a social media type relationship, more than an in-person relationship, you're probably an outer circle friend. And I like for people to know that outer circle friends are super important because you have a few inner circle friends and a few more middle circle friends, but most of us have a lot of outer circle friends. And when I was going through cancer for all those months and months, and I mentioned how I got meals three times a week for eight months, my inner circle could not bring me that many meals. (laughs) There There was no way, especially on top of everything else they were doing for me. And so I needed a huge outer circle to know their role, which was to bring food, to communicate support, and to pray for us. And my outer circle did such a fabulous job of that. And we we literally could not have gotten through without the help of my outer circle. So my message to those outer circle friends, because really all of us are going to be outer circle friends to someone with cancer probably multiple times in our adult life. And so we need to know that we do have a a role to play and it's a really important role. And so 
bring those meals, get on your knees and pray for her and for her family. And then communicate support to her and especially in a way that doesn't need a response. So send a note in the mail or send a text that says, you don't have to write me back. I just wanted you to know that I'm prayed for you this morning and um, look forward to bringing you a, a meal next Wednesday. Super helpful, super helpful. And I'm thinking of when we have the inner circle friends that are twos on the Enneagram that are caretakers and they just yes. jump right in. <laughs> yeah, Maybe to the, you know, forgetting about their own family's needs and they may Mm. care for us really well but some of us may not have a two as an inner circle friend and (laughs) we have all the sevens who are really fun to party and then all of a sudden we get sick and like no one's meeting Mm. those needs have you ever talked with someone who's going through this and they're really lacking the inner circle I think even when we have young kids sometimes we can neglect fostering inner circle relationships and so when hard things happen, we find ourselves coming up short. Yeah. You know, I, I do feel that my experience was probably a little bit unusual in, in just how wonderful my support system was. I think it was a real gift that the Lord gave us knowing that our needs were going to be so extreme, you know, even, you know, I think whenever you go through cancer or something hard, you have needs, but with my needing to live in Houston and all of that, like our needs were logistically just beyond even your typical needs for someone going through cancer. And the Lord really provided that for us. But I have sadly heard from other cancer survivors who hear me talk about this and say, you know, I, I didn't have that. And I didn't have that same kind of support. And it just, grieves me so much to hear that. And I get that. I get that we're all busy. I'm busy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's difficult, but I do feel like it's so important for us as the body of Christ. Like this is part of our calling. If we belong to Christ, we don't just belong to him. We belong to each other. And I think it's important that we try to foster those kinds of relationships before these things happen. And that those of us who may be the friend at some point down the road that we're aware of how much margin we have in my life. I know for me, I sometimes get stressed when I'm running low on gas because I don't have time to stop (laughs) gas in my car, right? Like I'm always late. I'm rushing from one thing to another. And that's always a warning sign for me. If I don't have time to put gas in my car, how do I have time to serve a friend if something comes up next week and she needs me? So just being aware of the margin that we have in our life and the relationships that we're fostering with other people so that we're preparing to be the body of Christ that we need to be to those who are hurting. But it is hard. It's really hard. Okay. I know y'all can relate. I am raising my hand over here. I have been the one who is too busy to even put gas in my car. And I do it with my life, taking care of everyone else, my husband, my kids, my friends, this podcast, and not stopping to think about taking care of my body first until something happens and I get sick and I'm forced to take care of my body. Well, let's be a little prophylactic and take care of ourselves first. And that's why I love sharing one of this month's sponsors, Care of Vitamins and Supplements with you, because they make it so simple. I took a quick online quiz and helped me narrow in on some concerns I had related to heart disease energy focus, and they sent me my own little personalized pack. It says, hi, Heather, on the pack. So I have no excuse to take a daily supplement to help fuel my body and take care of myself. If you want to get 50% off, go to takecareof.com. And until the end of February, 2019, that's coming up, you can use the code DMA50 to get 50% off your order. And bonus, when you do, a pregnant mom is going to get the prenatal vitamins she needs through the Good Plus foundation. I love that. So go to take care of, take care of.com. Use that code DMA 50 until the end of February to get 50% off. All right, let's get back to my chat with Marissa. Here we go. And it may be that we're stretched. It may not come naturally for us yes. to think yes. of these things. And let's say we're aware of the fact that it's an inner circle person or a middle circle person. What is the best way we can offer help that makes it easy even an outer circle, what's the best way to offer help so it's easy for that person who's walking through the hardest time of their life to say yes? Yeah. So when I was first diagnosed, 
it felt like this huge fog had like settled into my brain. I was Mm. so overwhelmed and just shocked by everything. And so I would hear from a lot of people and they were all saying, oh my goodness, I am so sorry you're going through this. Like, just let me know if you need anything. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I want to help you. And so I would hear this, you know, just let me know what you need. Let me know what you need. But because of the brain fog, it was really hard to connect those offers of help that were kind of general with this long list of needs that I had. And so I knew that people were sincere. I knew that people wanted to help me, but I just didn't know how to reach through that fog and get back to them and say, yeah, actually, could you bring me dinner next week? Or could you drive my kid to this thing they need to get to while I'm at chemo? And so what was really helpful was when people would make a really specific offer of help. And I'll give you an example. There was this younger woman. Her name is Callie. And I had been mentoring her the year before she was newly married, no kids at the time. And she texted me one day and she said, I really want to help you. I want to help you like on a regular basis if I can. And I have free time every Thursday morning. And so I could drive your kids to school or I could, you know, help you with errands or whatever it is that you need on a Thursday morning. Is there some way that I could help you? And so because she threw out some ideas of what she was willing to do and a specific time that she was free, it clicked really easily in my foggy brain that yes, actually I needed someone to help with preschool because my best friend and I were in a preschool carpool together and she had just had her fourth baby like six Mm -hmm. weeks earlier. And she Mm -hmm. was now covering my end of the carpool too. And so Callie ended up driving my four-year-old and my friend's four-year-old to preschool every Thursday for the rest of the school year. And if, if Callie young newlywed had texted me and said, just let me know what I can do to help you. Never in a million years would have I thought to ask her to drive two (laughs) four-year-olds to preschool every Thursday morning. I never would have thought of that, but because her offer was so specific, it helped me make that connection. And then she was able to serve our family in such a tangible way. Um, it was just a huge blessing to us. So if, if you can offer and let her know when you can help or let her know some tasks that you're willing to help with, it'll make it so much easier for her to say yes. I love the simplicity of that too. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes we think those offers aren't big enough. Yeah. It's not valuable enough. And in these seasons, oh, my stars, they stand out. It's something you remember. It was hugely helpful. Yeah. And no matter what season we're in, young married, whatever it is, um, that you have a role in this whole thing that's going on, this whole ministry that's going on. Um, mm-hmm. So you mentioned bringing meals earlier. Yeah. What's a way that you noticed meant a little more? Like, how do we go the extra mile when bringing a meal? Well, one of my favorite dinners in all of those months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, should, this should be its own book. Like what dinners right? to bring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my friend Sarah brought, she kind of went the extra mile by asking for a family recipe that oh. was something that I used to cook often for my kids. And so she brought, and this is going to sound disgusting, um, (laughs) but she brought this Hawaiian casserole that's like noodles and pineapple and ham that at the time was kind of one of our go-to meals with the kids. But the thing that Sarah didn't even realize when she picked that from these recipes that that a friend of mine got from me to, to give to people when they asked that is that that was something that my mom used to make when we were growing up as kids. Mm. And so it was like the epitome of comfort food for me and for my kids. And so that night I'd actually had chemo that day and I didn't usually feel like eating on a chemo day, but there was nothing keeping me from the kitchen table. Oh, it was, it was just the best. And so now, you know, eight years later, that is the meal that sticks out in my mind because she didn't just, and not, there's nothing wrong with doubling what you're making for your family. That's usually what I do when I'm taking a meal to someone. So there's nothing wrong with doing that, but 
the fact that she tried a new recipe that she'd never made before that um, was familiar to my family. And I think especially if there's young kids at home, that means a lot because my kids, their world got turned upside down. And one way it got turned upside down is that they weren't eating the stuff that they were used to eating because I wasn't cooking anymore. All these other people were cooking for us. And my kids are pretty picky eaters. <laughs> they really were at those ages. And so that just was really meaningful for all of us that she did that. And then I also, I think that it's good, obviously bring everything in disposable pans and things that you don't need back so that they don't have to try, try to return that. Um, but I also would have people sometimes ask me if I had any dishes that someone else had brought that they could return for me. Wow, so, you know, amazing. someone from church or whatever, you know, they're going to see that person too. So take your stuff in disposable dishes. And then when you get there, say, Hey, do you have anything that I can return to someone else for you that they may have, have left here? And then another way to go the extra mile would be to keep in mind that her family probably doesn't just want dinner. They're probably expecting to eat three times a day. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have any, like maybe you make really great breakfast burritos and then you freeze them in batches and you pull them out and stick them in the microwave or whatever. If you have a recipe like that or muffins or eggos with Nutella on top. <laughs> yes. Or like things that could go in the lunch boxes. Yeah, for yeah, school. yeah. Like think about breakfast and lunch phase that you could drop off along with the dinner. That would just be a huge blessing as well. Such a good idea. I had never considered asking, especially, I mean, even a new mom, like, yeah, I don't know with other kids or whatever, or a grieving, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think especially in those grief situations, it could be really comforting. And, and the thing that's a little bit different when you're taking a meal to somebody with cancer, it is definitely different than taking a meal to a new mom, which is the right. context most of us have for when we take the meals, in part because it's going on for so long. You know, that we got meals. I mean, I cooked maybe once or twice over the course of eight months. <laughs> so it was just a really long time of eating other people's foods and receiving those meals and all of that. And so it does definitely feel different. And the other thing that I will say about taking the meals is just to caution people to leave their expectations at home as far as spending time with your friend with cancer. Mm -hmm. And I know that sometimes I sign up to take a meal because I want to see my friend because you know, I haven't seen her in a while. And, you know, I just, I want to like lay eyes on her and I want to hug her neck and see if she's okay. Um, and sometimes when you're sick like that and you've got people coming to your house three times a week with the meals, sometimes you feel like saying hi and sometimes you just don't. And it's not personal. It's nothing against your sweet friend who's bringing you dinner that night. You just don't feel up to it. And so, if your meal is received by the husband or by a family member or something like that, or you're asked to leave it in a cooler on the front porch, um, it's not personal. Don't get your feelings hurt by that. You know, just know that you're there to serve and, and try to not have expectations about spending time with your friend when you do that. Totally get that. I think it was my, I know babies and cancer is totally different scenario, but with my fourth, I was, did not have the energy to also entertain Oh, goodness. Someone no. <laughs> and with their kids, too. And so oh, right. I, yeah. I, there's a little bit of like, oh, I feel bad. They're bringing me something and I'm not showing kindness. But yeah, setting expectations. I think that's really, really good. Let's talk about when we do have that friend that's the two on the Enneagram and uh -huh. <laughs> they want to do everything. And just like, I don't know, I've, you know, walking alongside friends who are going through marriage crisis or anything, you often can get pulled into the sadness, the grief, the stress mm -hmm. of your friend to the point where you burn out yourself and you're not really meeting your own family's needs, your needs. So yeah. how do we balance that desire to do everything and be there for our friend and yet manage our own schedule and keep from burning out? Yeah, I think this can be so difficult, um, especially if you are in that inner circle and you're going to be really aware of all the needs that your friends has. And there will be some of those needs that you can meet and some of them you can't. And one thing that I have seen in my own life 
and also over and over again with other friends is that the Lord really does provide and he provides in a lot of different ways. And usually he is weaving together this tapestry of support to provide for our friends needs. And we're just one thread and we don't even necessarily see all the other threads that he's using to meet those needs. And so I think that it's, it's good to pray and ask the Lord, you know, what is my role? And it may be that you just pick one thing, you know, maybe you are an organizer and maybe you are in various circles of her friends. Like maybe you're, you know, you know, a lot of her friends from school, church, neighborhood, et cetera. So you would be a really great person to set up the meal calendar and recruit people to bring meals. And you say, okay, this is my thing. I'm going to make sure she has meals, but that doesn't mean that I'm bringing all the meals. (laughs) Right. Right. So you kind of have like this focus, like, okay, this is my role and I'm going to just knock my role right out of the park, but I'm going to know this is my role. And, and the other things are not my role. So my, my friend that I mentioned who our kids were in preschool together, who just had her fourth baby. That meant that she actually could not fit her kids and my kids in her minivan and drive all of my kids somewhere. Right. Like, so, you know, she's got this new baby and, and all of that. And so she primarily was my emotional support. Hmm. She wasn't just not able to bring me a meal or drive my kids somewhere or, um, help take care of my kids, you know, and she knew that she knew that the Lord would provide other people to do those things. And she prayed for me and she listened to me and we spent hours on the phone together while she was nursing that newborn. I don't know what her big kids were doing. Maybe they watched a lot of videos during those months, but I knew she was there for me. Um, with emotional support. And then um, I had another one of my other best friends who also lived in our neighborhood, who had two kids who were a little bit older, and she could fit all of our kids in her minivan. And she was like my go to logistical person. She ran my life for eight months. And she's super good at running things. And so she she did a great job. And so they kind of just fell into their roles. And they knew that was their role. And but they knew that they had to set some boundaries that they were not no one person could do everything that I needed done. And I think that my friends had to, had to learn that pretty quickly to avoid burnout, that they needed to take care of their families and they needed to do what the Lord laid on their heart to do for me. And they did make sacrifices and it was hard. And, you know, they would maybe not sign up to be homeroom mom that year or whatever, because they knew that they were devoting time to serving my family, but they knew they couldn't do everything. Wisdom. Wisdom and faith that God loves Marissa more than they ever could and to trust that he will meet her needs and find someone, but also to seek how they fall into that. That's really, really wise. Yeah. So speaking of wisdom, I'm sure in your journey, you've had a lot of people who've in their compassion or kindness or care have wanted to give you wisdom or support you, but they have said the wrong thing. And (laughs) I literally, I mean, there's a mom that is in our community that's walking through cancer treatments. And Mm. so many times I've put my foot in my mouth. I can't even tell you. Like, she's so gracious to me. She's so (laughs) gracious. And she knows my heart is in the right place. And I've just like, cannot tell you how many times. So what advice do you have for us? What is helpful? And what isn't so helpful. <laughs> oh man, there's so much to say on yeah. this topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh my goodness. It's so hard. And you know, Heather, there is so much grace and forgiveness. I mean, I've been thinking about this and talking about this for years and I still get it wrong. And I remember when I was the person with cancer and I knew that I kind of made things awkward and I knew that people didn't know what to say or that they were afraid that they would say the wrong thing. And so I understood that. And so there's, there's so much grace there. I think the important thing is to not let that fear of saying the wrong thing, keep us from approaching the person who's hurting and offering our support. So I'll start by saying that, like move toward the person who's suffering. Don't avoid them. Be willing to risk the awkwardness of maybe saying the wrong thing. But I think there are some things to keep in mind. One thing is the best way to not 
say the wrong thing is just to say fewer things <laughs> and just to be just to be quiet and listen mm-hmm. um, as much as possible. I love in Proverbs ten nineteen it says, "When words are many, transgression is not lacking." <laughs> But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And so I've just seen that in my own life. Like the more I say, the more likely it is I'm going to say something I wish I could take back. So, um, you know, I think approaching the person and just if you this is the first time you've seen her since the diagnosis, acknowledge what's going on. Um, Tell her you're so sorry to hear that she's going through this and that you're praying for her. And then you might just ask, how are you today? And I love how are you today? Because sometimes when we ask, how are you? And the way that we say it, and we kind of like scrunch up our face and tilt our head to the side. And we're like, oh, how are you? You know, like, it's so loaded. Like, do you want to know how I'm feeling about 10 years from now? Or you want to know? Yeah, What's like my it's, heart right this second. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, like it can feel like a lot of pressure if the person doesn't feel like pouring out her heart to you. But if you're like, how are you today? And you've acknowledged what's going on. So then she knows that she's free to like pour out her heart or she's free just to tell you about the really great salad that she had for lunch. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. kind of, it feels like a little less pressure, a little more open-ended. And then wherever she takes the conversation with her answer, if it's about the salad or if it's about her fear of the future, then you just follow her there. Let her kind of guide that conversation and her comfort level and how she's feeling that day because you might be feeling devastated because you just found out about her diagnosis, but she may be further along in processing it. She may be feeling really hopeful that day. So I think just not making an assumption about how she's feeling and just just asking, you know, how are you today? And then kind of going from there can be a good way to handle that. I also will say the one thing that I hear the most often when I talk to cancer survivors that they say is not helpful is when people say things like God has a plan or, um, Romans 8, 28, which happens to be one of my absolute favorite verses that God works all things together for good for his children. You know, I love that verse and I absolutely believe that it is true. And I'm so thankful that God has a plan and I'm so thankful that God is in control. But when we say those things to our friends who are hurting, what they hear us say is, why are you so upset? Everything's going to be okay. Mm. Or why don't you just trust God? And then maybe you wouldn't be so upset or so sad. And so for me, when I was sick, knowing that God had a plan and knowing that he was in control, it was a comfort when the Holy Spirit brought those things to my mind. But when other people said them to me, it wasn't comforting because it kind of felt like that, like, well, everything's going to be okay. Why are you so upset? Like minimizing your pain or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or almost like people, and I know that, that it's hard because sometimes when we see someone who's really upset, we, we are not sure what to do with that. And it makes us kind of uncomfortable and we want to try to make feel better. things yeah, to yeah, like yeah. a safer territory. Like, I don't want you to hurt. I want you to feel better. And then, and then I'll also feel better. And this conversation will be a little more comfortable. So yeah, I think just try to avoid saying those kinds of things, but just be willing to enter into her pain that she's feeling and sit with her and offer her a tissue and cry with her. And when we do share God's word with our friends who are hurting, which I do think is important. Um, you know, if our friend, if our friend is a Christian and if those, those things are going to be meaningful to her, um, to share verses that talk more about God's presence with her or God's care for her. Um, those types of verses were really, really comforting to me. So I would, I would look to the Psalms are really great places, (laughs) you know, like Psalm 34, 18, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, Um, Psalm 46, that God is our refuge and our strength and a very present help in trouble. I love Psalm 121. It talks about our help comes from the Lord. who's the maker of heaven and earth. Those kinds of things were so comforting to me in a way that, that God has a plan. God's in control. Those kinds of things didn't bring us much comfort. Mm, It's good. If you have more scripture that you want me to put in the show notes, I can do that. Yeah, I'll put those I'll put those references in the show notes. And it's interesting you say that verse, you know, all things work together for good kind of idea. I was just looking up the Hebrew for good and 
I found a commentator who was going back to even like the ancient drawings of the word good, like how their letters, what they would look like and how they were like pictographs, basically, almost like the Egyptians would do. And mm. they were three little drawings. And together they created this phrase, man made from clay. So basically good to them was a reminder that we came from a creator who made us out of dust, right? So mm-hmm. he he's the one who owns our body. He's the ones that designed our bodies yeah. are safe in God's house. That's good. Wow. So the good that God brings about is about the same thing you're wanting from those Psalms, a reminder mm-hmm. of who we are in our position that God is the one who created us and that also his presence that we're safe in his house, which is eternal, which, yeah. can, you know, once we've professed faith, we're already starting our eternal life. This body has nothing for us. And so it's like this safety and this presence that comes from the good that's actually biblical good, <laughs> you know, right. not this, it's all going to turn out and yes, yeah, I've got to right. make it all better. It's the truth of this interdimensional experience that we're already in God's presence technically that time mm-hmm. time is not this linear thing and uh, this experience is not just physical it's it's spiritual and anyway I just think the more we really grasp the scriptures I think less we would cherry pick and decide mm-hmm. that this one's right. gonna be <laughs> helpful and right. this one's not but I think right. um, such a good point that when you're going through that you want to know God's there and you want to know he's strong when you're not feeling strong. And when everyone else is saying, oh, you're so brave, you're so strong, you're like, I feel anything but strong right now. Right. Yes. I definitely felt that way. I felt so weak. And yet it's so true what the Bible says about when we are you know, weak, it puts his strength on display and you know, his grace is so sufficient in our weakness. And um, that was definitely one of my big takeaways from that time was just experiencing the truth of his grace and his strength and his faithfulness in the midst of my utter dependence on him because I had no other choice, <laughs> like yeah. not yeah. a dependence on him because I was so spiritually mature, just right. <laughs> dependence on him because right. there was no other option. Right. Um, yeah. Anyone who's gone through that, anyone who's gone through those seasons understands that this is, this is out of desperation and actually what, all of us are in a desperate place. We're just not aware of it. But um, when you're aware yeah. of it, it's, yeah. it brings you to your knees pretty, quick. pretty mm-hmm. quick. It does. Well, thank you, Marissa, for sharing with us. Y'all, I'll put links to her book, Loving Your Friend Through Cancer. If you are in a season and looking for support and help and to know that you're not alone in that, um, there's a, a lot of resources in this book, whole appendix of beautiful resources for y'all to, I, I feel like, consult like a book that you could go back to. It's not a one read through and then you're done with it. Uh, So thank you, Marissa, for being on the show. Is there a place online that they can connect with you that you want to share with them? Yeah, I'm probably most active on Instagram. I'm marissa.henley. And then I've got a website, marissahenley.com, where I've got Monday devotionals and links to different social media places where you can find me. And so, yeah, that's probably the easiest place to go. And then you can find me wherever you like to hang out. Thank you for being here today. I'm so grateful for your life and for you sharing it with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks y'all again for listening. I know that Marissa's survival of cancer is not everyone's story. And so before I even finish closing out the show, I wanted to point some of you to an episode I did years ago with a gal in our community, Jen Klaus. It was episode 100. I'll always remember that. And it was such a beautiful reminder of eternity. It's called In Light of Eternity. And it's a beautiful reminder of heaven and the glimpses we get of heaven here. It's so helpful as we are sometimes prone to complaints and discontent when it comes to our own family lives as a little perspective of the get-to's they get to pick your kids up from school, the little things. It's another reminder of those friendships interwoven throughout the conversation are the impact Jen had on her friends and what a great friend she was. So people just loved on her so well because of the love she had shown them. Okay. Thanks y'all for listening again. 
Loved how much you shared Paul David Tripp's episode last week. Y'all are the best marketers. I do not have a marketing team and you are it. So thank you for sharing episodes with your friends on social media. I couldn't do this without y'all. And make sure if you are wanting community to go check out the Don't Mom Alone podcast clubs or the Not Alone community, uh, online community, go to don'tmomalone.com and you can see the button join. Also, Marissa mentioned some scriptures that are helpful, and I said I'm putting those in the show notes, and you're wondering where those are. They're over at Don't Mom Alone, and if you want them to come into your email inbox, you just scroll through that site, and you'll see a spot. It says, get the weekly show notes here, and you just put your email address in, and then you get all of those great resources straight in your inbox. And I'm thinking of revamping this a little bit because I'm finding it's hard for me to let you guys know about stuff unless I say it in this podcast and not everybody listens every week, which I totally get. I don't listen to every one of my shows every week, but there's stuff I don't want you to miss out on. And I don't know, do I share it on Facebook or Instagram or on the podcast? So I might be revamping a way for you to get a little like weekly update from me through email. So stay tuned for that. I'm going to close this off with uh, another blessing prayer over our friendships and our bodies and, and any fear we might have. God, I invite you into this time for the woman who's listening. I pray that you would remove any fear she might have related to hearing Marissa's story. I pray that you would remove any feelings of guilt or shame for not being the kind of friend she wants to be. I pray that you would fill her with a spirit of love. I pray that you would fill her with spirit of hope that change is possible. If she's in the middle of her battle right now, God, I pray that you would be her ever-present comfort to know that you are so big outside of her circumstances and that you care more than she ever could and that you can do more than she can ever imagine. I pray, God, that you would give us the wisdom and discernment to know what is our role in helping our friends and what we need to leave to others to do, that we can do the assignments you've put right in front of us and not to feel the burden and the weight of being someone that you never intended us to be. I thank you, God, for this time that we have together. I pray for whoever is listening that you would orchestrate her day so that she would know your presence and your care when it comes to her family and her spouse and her friendships, that she would feel you near. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all have a great week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's also where you'll find the show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, he said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that is superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present and with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.